Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. It is a busy day to end the week here in the world of agriculture. On Thursday, the U.S. Supreme Court came out and found Proposition 12 in California constitutional, allowing that law to stand. That news has roiled the pork industry and will possibly be moving through the livestock markets. And then later this morning, we will be hearing from the USDA for their May World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. We'll talk through some of those expectations here in just a moment. Then we're going to get into the dairy market with Robin Schmall of agmarket.net. And in segment two, Terza Duran of the American Consumer Institute will be joining us. We're going to talk through some of the projected changes in the SNAP funding program and how that program could be made more efficient in this era of budget concern. And then in segment three, we're going to dig into that Proposition 12 decision, talk about the impact on the hog industry before we close the show today with our friend Greg Soulier, meteorologist from This Week in Agribusiness. Taking a look at the markets here to start the day, mixed trade here in the grains. Corn off a little bit. We've got new crop uh, December 23 down one and a half cents. Soybeans down a little bit more, both old crop and new crop down down four to six cents here around the board. Soybean meal hanging in there up slightly so far today. And then the wheat market finally seems as though the wheat market is catching a bid. We've got Chicago wheat up nine to 10 cents. Hard red wheat up 16 to 17 cents. Spring wheat even getting in on the gains here. Spring currently up 10 cents here in some of those deferred categories. Looking at the livestock scene as we continue to watch the impact of this Prop 12 decision Royal markets, the hog industry or hog futures, in fact, are down. Not substantially. We're off 40 to 80 cents here in the lean hog markets. We'll see how this could continue to impact issues as we push forward. Thinking ahead to what is coming later on today, that May World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report. Oof. We are expecting some changes. Dow Jones announced their survey of 20 analysts expects to see the USDA raise its estimate of old crop ending corn stocks from 1.342, which is where we sat in April. Expect to see that jump up to 1.356 billion bushels. Now, that is the number that is expected. However, that could still run higher. Here in the new crop, Dow Jones is expecting its uh, the USDA rather to figure up corn stocks coming in at 2.34 billion bushels. That's expecting that we get a 15 billion bushel corn crop here this fall. USDA at this point is still using their acreage projections from earlier this week, uh, excuse me, earlier this season. And if all of these things come to pass, it would be the second largest corn crop on record and the largest ending stocks for corn in five years, pushing over that 2 billion bushel carryout number, the trade is going to notice that. The other big concern on this month's report is what is coming outside of the United States. Now, that Brazilian safrina corn crop. We've talked a lot about that here on this program. We've talked a lot about it with our friend uh, John Baranek over at DTN. That crop is planted at the tail end of the Brazilian wet season, and they must get enough rainfall early in that season to carry the crop through pollination and to harvest. As things look right now across Brazil, that crop is in pollination. Those rains have been coming. Those John mentioned, there is potentially some dryness ahead. But given that they've got big acres and so far favorable weather, we are expected to see the Brazil corn production number jump up. They are going to be producing 125.9 million metric tons to convert that into something we're comfortable dealing with. That's 4.96 billion bushels, just shy of 5 million bushels coming in Brazil. Argentina, different story. Uh, that country has been hit by drought consistently for the last three years. It has absolutely decimated their crop yields, and this year this year is no different. Uh, production estimate is expected to drop from 37 million metric tons to 35 million metric tons here in May. That's a 2 million metric ton reduction, and that would be the lowest harvest or the lowest uh, corn number in Argentina in five years. 
given all of that balancing act coming together, the USDA is expecting the world corn ending stocks to slip, might see a little more tightness on the global scene after this report later today, 295 million metric tons in April. Expected to see that drop down to 294 million metric tons. That's 11.5 billion bushels. Soybeans are also a market that is waiting for this report later on today. We've got old crop soybeans slipping lower over the past two months. That massive crop in Brazil is moving on to the market, and U.S. ending stocks are expected to climb a little bit for this new crop from 210 to 212 million bushels. Now, if that is verified on this report, it would be the lowest ending stocks in seven years, and it likely might not even be noticed by traders. At this point, the trade is focused on what is coming out of Brazil. And so that's where the USDA's world soybean stocks might be interesting to watch. Again, similar to corn, it is expected to tighten up a little bit, 100 million metric tons down to 99 million metric tons, about 3.65 billion bushels, not too much of a change. The big move is expected in Brazil, 154.6 million metric tons of soybean production, and that might be on the low end. Some analysts are thinking that crop down there might be 156, 157 million metric tons. That is huge, would be a record large crop out of Brazil. Argentina, similar to the corn story, their production continues to decline as that drought continues to grip that entire nation. Their soybean production was at 27 million metric tons in April, according to the USDA. This month, their stepping it back. 24.4 million metric tons, folks. That's 895 million bushels in total production. That is the smallest crop in Argentina, if it verifies, in 23 years. Now, the wheat market, as I mentioned, we are catching a bit of a bid right there. The Dow Jones uh, industry experts are expecting an old crop estimate size of 265.1 million metric tons. And we are expecting a new crop estimate of 260 million metric tons. We are seeing the margin shrink. Now, we are expecting an increase in old crop ending stocks, very small one, about 5 million uh, metric tons here in May, still going to be the lowest number in nine years here in wheat, and the trade is watching that hard red production. We continue to see that massive drought across the Southwest Plains, and uh, that is going to hurt production. Looking at the crop production report from NAS, Dow Jones estimates we are going to see 1.218 billion bushels of winter wheat production. Now that's 588 million bushels of hard red, 697 million bushels of soft red, and five, excuse me, 238 million bushels of white wheat. Now, worth remembering that 68% of Kansas wheat right now has been given a poor to very poor rating, and that's uh, as of last week. That's the lowest rating we have seen for Kansas wheat since 1989. So the expectation that that uh, 588 million bushels of hard red wheat just might not come to fruition. As those combines start to run across the Southern Plains or the Baylors start to run, we'll get a better feel for how that crop would appear. Folks, stay with us on AOA. When we return, we're going to talk about the impact of SNAP and how it could be managed more efficiently. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. On the first Wednesday of every month, our friends from the National Corn Growers Association join us here on AOA for a segment we call The Monthly Grind. This month, we spoke with Sarah McKay about Consider Corn Challenge 4. We've had three today, and these are open innovation contests that 
really look to establish novel uses for corn. So you think bio-based materials, products, and technologies that can utilize corn that don't currently today. So we're really looking at placing uh, things like petrochemicals, products that can be more environmentally friendly, but also grind more corn. This year, the challenge is actually up to the prize pool to $250,000 for our Consider Corn Challenge for winners. Cool quarter of a million dollars, Sarah. That's impressive. Tell us, where can folks go to learn more about the Consider Corn Challenge? They can visit our website at ncga.com slash new uses. Feel free to, to reach out to me at mckay at ncga.com. And I'm always happy to have that conversation or come even speak to grower producer groups about the work that we're doing here at National Corn. Tune in on June 7th to the next Monthly Grind right here on AOA. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA. Talking about it is moving in the world of agriculture. And one of the big, slow moving issues that will be heating up as this summer moves forward is negotiations around the Farm Bill. It is a big pile of money. It's a bill that sticks around for five years and it touches a lot of different aspects of America's food policy, not just production but also consumption. And given the fact that SNAP is such a large portion of that farm bill discussion, ensuring it's efficient and effective is, should be job number one. Well, joining us for an update on how SNAP possibly could be improved in its efficiency is Terza Duran. She's the director of tech policy at the American Consumer Institute. And Terza, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, you recently wrote a piece looking at how delivery services can make SNAP more efficient. Terza, can you fill us in a little bit? Why are we looking at this right now? So the Farm Bill is up for renewal this year. And one of the many things that it contains is it contains a program for online purchasing. And this pilot program really started in the 2014 Farm Bill, but you didn't really see it rolled out until about 2019. And it rolled out originally with eight pilot program states, but currently it has expanded to every state with the exception of Alaska and including the District of Columbia. And what this program does is it allows beneficiaries of SNAP or from beneficiaries of SNAP to use those funds in order to make grocery purchases online and it opens up the availability to have their groceries delivered or for them to just pick up at a grocery store. Interesting. I didn't realize this program has been around since 2014. Terza, when I think about grocery delivery and online ordering, it sounds very much like a COVID pandemic response, but it's existed before that. And how's it performing? How have these pilots functioned in the real world, particularly through the past three years of craziness? Yes. Yeah, so the 
program started in 2014, but it really wasn't rolled out till 2019 in the first state of New York. So you really see it being rolled out kind of just in time for the pandemic. And what you see with the use from the SNAP programs is kind of the same trends that you saw within the greater shopping patterns as a whole. According to a USDA spokesperson, in March 2020, roughly 35,000 SNAP households shopped online. So that's not a significant portion. But by June, you saw that number jump to over 800,000. And while that's still a relatively small percentage of total SNAP recipients, you do see that that number is growing. And I think the trend is definitely moving more towards online shopping in the future. Terza, I think all of this kind of comes back to the root question, which is what, what is the purpose of SNAP? For a lot of us out there, we understand it's to help help folks struggling in a, in a bad time to continue eating, but there's maybe more to it, isn't there? Yes, this program has been around for a really long time. It started with the Food Stamp Act of 1964, and then the 2008 Farm Bill renamed it to what we know today as the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And what this program does is it helps low-income Americans and households be able to purchase their groceries. So it really uh, alleviates an economic burden on the household. But when we're looking at the concept of food security, you look at that concept along two main dimensions. One of them is economic, but the other is physical access. And so where this comes into play is it comes into play with individuals or families who may not live close to a grocery store or may not have adequate transportation to get to and from a grocery store. And so what you see in these cases is that, yes, being able to purchase the food is great, but there's another dimension of being able to access the food. And the online purchasing program really helps to address the second dimension of food security. That makes a lot of sense, Terza. And I think the question from a, a taxpayer's perspective might be, all right, maybe it's allowing more people to get it, but are the costs much higher when we're doing delivery or online ordering versus sending people physically to a store? Do we see a difference in the cost to the program? So currently, the program does allows individuals to buy their groceries online, but it only covers the cost of the groceries. It doesn't cover the delivery fee. So that's one way where the costs haven't really increased. But when we're looking at the type of grocery stores that it allows consumers to access, we really see it allowing dollars to go further. There was a 2018 study that I mentioned in my piece that looked at food markets in the greater Los Angeles area. And what it found is that smaller food retailers charged significantly higher prices than the larger supermarkets. So allowing people who receive SNAP benefits to access these large supermarkets can really allow their dollar to go further and can make the program more efficient. That is a really good point. Of course, if, if I don't have access to a grocery store, I'm going to a bodega. I'm going to a convenience store where I'm going to be paying that higher premium for goods. Terza, how have the grocery stores been in providing delivery under SNAP? You mentioned it exploded to 800,000 users. Were there more who'd like to use it but don't have access to a delivery service in their geography? There are. There, According to the original pilot program, the delivery services were able to reach about 90% of individuals who lived in what's referred to food deserts. And so these food deserts are really characterized by high percentages of low income population, as well as high distances from grocery stores. And so when you look at the original eight states, the delivery program really helped alleviate about 90% of the households that didn't have access. You can still see some barriers, especially in rural communities where the delivery services aren't available. So it's not a perfect program. It doesn't solve everything that everyone needs, but it does do a lot to increase the access, especially for more densely populated areas where grocery delivery is pretty expansive. All right. So now we're in the policy making phase, right, Terza? We've got to take the information that we've gathered over this pilot program through the COVID pandemic and put it into practice on this next 23 Farm Bill. And from ACI's perspective, what would you like to see? How could we incorporate this data into the framework we have today? 
What's most important is to maintain the current program and possibly expand the different retailers that are able to provide services in it. So that's most important. Secondly, there is room to discuss expanding to other similar type programs like WIC. Currently, we see Tennessee and Oklahoma are piloting a model to allow for online ordering for WIC recipients, but the WIC individuals still have to be in the physical store in order to make the purchase. So we could see options for expanding by expanding delivery to these individuals as well. All right, Terza, but we also have a lot of political focus on SNAP this year in particular, both because that farm bill negotiation is coming, but also because of this debt ceiling negotiation. We've seen a couple pieces of legislation rolled out that would target SNAP. Have any of the existing or, or the new proposals tried to do away with this sort of technology under the program? What we see with a lot of the SNAP proposals is they have to do with either overall funding or they have to do with putting in work requirements. And something about a lot of proponents of work requirements is they really want the program to be as effective or efficient as possible. And what this food delivery program does is it really allows that to happen. It has the focus on efficiency. So my hope is, is that people who are both proponents of the program and people who both want the program to work better can really join together and get behind this particular aspect of it because it really has proven effective in making dollars go further and improving access for Americans. Now, Terza, you compiled all of this data here in your recent piece discussing this issue. Tell our listeners, where can they go to learn more about it? Where can they go to read that piece and, and see how this impacts the discussion? Yes, to read the piece and see more of our work, you can go to the AmericanConsumer.org. We have a lot of our work published there. And then you can also follow us on Twitter at ConsumerPal, and you can follow our work there as well. Fantastic, folks. We've been talking with Terza Duran this morning. She is the Director of Tech Policy over at the American Consumer Institute. And Terza, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on AOA Today. Thank you for having me. Folks, and stay with us. As I did mention, we will be talking about that SCOTUS decision, Supreme Court decision yesterday on Proposition 12. It was upheld by the United States Supreme Court. The California law is now the law of the land and the pork industry is watching out. We'll talk about that here when AOA comes back in just a moment. We're also going to have our conversation with Robin Schmall about what's going on in the dairy industry. Continue to see that market. The milk price continues to suffer. Robin is with agmarket.net. He's going to fill us in on the factors he's watching across the dairy complex. Folks, thanks for listening to AOA. Stay with us. We'll have more coming in just a moment. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's take a look at this market trade ahead of the May World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report out at 11 a.m. Central Time from USDA. The grain and oilseed markets mixed to firm ahead of the highly anticipated May crop report with 
little movement in quarter bean prices here. We're trending just a little bit lower at early action, while in the meantime, we have substantial movement here in Kansas City, Minneapolis wheat. That's spilling over into Chicago wheat as well. Expectations are that USDA will print a small production number today due to this year's weather problems that could further tighten the balance sheet. We look a little closer here at this wheat market trade, and we see that traders are expecting uh, that ending stocks estimate to be just over 600 million bushels, which would leave a similar all-wheat balance sheet to the one we have this year. The meetings between Russia, Ukraine, Turkey, and the UN ended yesterday without an agreement to the continuation of the Black Sea grain deal, which is supporting prices here today as well. Now we look at corn. The first deliveries against the May contract were made last night. 50,000 bushels delivered by ADM. Today's WASDE report could show small declines in export sales and ethanol production, but could raise feed and residual use. USDA will likely have new crop ending stocks above 2 billion bushels and are expected to increase Brazilian production, but lower Argentinian production. Soybeans uh, were trading higher to start, have backed off a little bit here. Bean meal has been trading higher the last couple of sessions, up some $20 here on the decrease in Argentine production. Argentina's harvest is estimated at 51.6% complete, with production estimates unchanged at 22.5 million metric tons. We have mixed and quiet action in cattle and hogs, really waiting for the WASDE report as well, especially feeder cattle, to see the impact on corn prices that could send the feeder market one way or another. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and we'll talk about Proposition 12 in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to dig into this dairy industry. Just about a year ago, the dairy industry milk prices were at record highs. Since then, things have changed, and that downward trend is continuing in milk. Joining us for an update on the industry as a whole is Robin Schmall. He's the dairy analyst and trader with agmarket.net. And Robin, thanks so much for jumping on with us today. All right. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Let's talk about this breakdown in class three milk over the past year. Robin, can you give us some some levels? Where were we back in May of 22? Where are we today and what happened? Well, back in uh, spring of, of 22, we were at record prices. We had record class four price uh, in, I believe, in March and in April. We had record class three price. Uh, we were up over $25 and now we're you can basically give a range eight to nine dollars below that. One of the main reasons is that last year, starting in the end of 2021 or later in 2021, because of lower milk prices, high input costs, we saw heavy culling. And that culling was pretty heavy for probably about four or five, five months uh, as, as producers were liquidating to try to trim costs as well as increase their income because of you know cow cow prices well then there was the, the 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 fear of reduced milk production and tighter supplies permeated through the market so the emotion took over and we saw buying of cheese continually moving higher as they were looking ahead to potentially a shortage of milk later in the year with the heavy calling 
So we had record high prices for class three, class four milk in spring. We've had a record high butter price in October of last year. And a lot of that was fear driven. This year, uh, we have stronger milk production than last year. We have the highest cow numbers since uh, August or September of, of 2021. And we're into spring flush and our demand is a little slower and the fear is not there. Uh, so what has resulted is the complacency by the buyers of cheese and butter and the milk price has gone down. Robin, I am stunned that the dairy industry was able to turn production around so quickly, given the, the aggressive culling that was happening. It, how'd they do that? How'd they get production up in less than six months? Well, that's, you know, we used to have the cycles and I, I, I agree with you. I was a little surprised too, but we used to have the cycles where you'd maybe see a year and a half, you know, before you could kind of turn the train around, go the other way. That has changed a lot. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with more of the larger farms um, versus a lot of smaller farms and the larger farms, um, they'll be more apt to go out and try to buy out the smaller farms. If somebody's selling out, they want to absorb those cattle and they can do them quickly. And, um, and then the other thing too, is even though heifer numbers were tighter, I, I think there were a bunch of them waiting in the wings. And so once the milk price started getting better, instead of maybe uh, culling or, or I should say slaughtering some of those heifers, they hung on to them. So we did tighten up that window of how the dairy industry can respond. And I think just the change in, in that whole dairy sector from what it used to be and how they used to, used to add cows, decrease cows, uh, change in production has tightened up quite significantly. Um, well, technology has something to do with that. You know, you've got uh, sex semen, so you can have more heifers. You got, you know, a number of different things that have changed that industry. Absolutely. And now that we've got this price moving back down and moving down so aggressively, Robin, do you think the industry can shut off production that quickly? Or once it's here, it's here to stay at least for a while? <laughs> well, I thought it would shut it off more quickly, but I think it's going to take a little longer time now because the good prices last year, and even though we still had high inputs, I've talked to customers that say that they are in good shape right now, yet because they were able to prepay and do some things on the dairy last year that puts them into a better position this year. So I don't think now that we're going to see that culling pick up as aggressively as we did back in 2021 into early part of 22. I think there's going to be more of the maintenance or maintaining those cow numbers. They're going to push production to try to make up for some of the lower price. And, and that's going to take a little longer period of time. And hopefully by that time, we're going to see an increase in demand, not just domestically, but worldwide as well. That's going to take us out of this trough. Speaking of demand, Robin, you mentioned last year we saw that cheese moving at close to, if not into record territory. We had butter into record territory. The products in the dairy industry now, how are consumers still uh, addressing them? Are you still seeing solid demand out there from the consumer base? It's it's more, I'll term it good demand. I mean, we're we're not increasing demand as much as maybe we should be. There's, we have higher prices in the grocery stores. Uh, restaurant prices have increased more than, they, than prices for food in the grocery store. Uh, we've got the higher interest rates that have permeated through the market. And, and so there's a little, I would say, good demand, not quite as good as maybe was expected. Uh, so that coupled with where we are right now, we see a little bit more seemingly the, a little bit more supply than there is demand at the present time. <laughs> All right. Well, that makes sense, Robin. You touched briefly on the potential for worldwide demand. We saw a lot of global buyers turn to U.S. dairy over the past five years. Looking out from here, how does that global demand outlook look? Is there more opportunity for, for dairy exports? 
Yeah, there's opportunity for dairy exports. And now we did see the exports compared to a year ago. We do see them slowing down when we get our export numbers out. Um, but again, we saw such a large increase in exports last year. You're not going to see the same type of an increase this year. So even a smaller increase this year is going to be positive to the market. Now, the other thing that we have seen is that we have seen demand slow in many places in the world. We follow the global dairy trade auction, which happens twice a month, and it gives a, a kind of an indication of world prices. And for about the last four or five consecutive times, well, last time we were up about 3.2% on overall trade weighted average. Four or five uh, sessions before that, we were decreasing. So we are down lower on a global dairy trade auction <clears throat> uh, trade weighted average price than we were a year ago. And that's because worldwide demand kind of slacked off a little bit, mirrored the U.S. demand. So <clears throat> we, we need to be seeing uh, demand pick up worldwide. Now, China has been really slow on increasing their demand for dairy which dropped off during the COVID. Now, China doesn't have a large presence in the dairy export market or import market, but they do have a presence. And so that's been lacking. And then we've had uh, some of the slowness uh, in the primarily a lot in the butter, butter fat market in the UK, uh, in Australia. Now there's now some of that starting to pick up again um, but it's going to take a little bit longer in order to really, really see that get back on track. Robin, economics on dairy farms. Uh, you mentioned we've maybe seen some of the, the input costs stop rising at least for feed, but they are still very elevated. How are dairy farms coping? And do you think we'll have more liquidations as this year moves forward? Well, again, they're coping some because they, those who were able to look ahead and last year be able to do some things ahead. Um, they're coping with that right now. Uh, there is going to be more liquidations. Um, you know, that just stands to reason that some people are, are not going to go through another year, especially when we're kind of inverted now on a drop to that magnitude that we're seeing from a year ago. I mean, you're taking away, you know, basically a third of somebody's milk check. Yeah. Uh, ex expenses haven't fallen that much. Um, and, and that makes it hard. So they're going to cope by one is trying to balance rations to least cost a little bit more, which can affect in milk production. Culling will pick up to some extent because we have high cull cow prices, but they may not pick up as much as we did a year ago, a year and a half ago. Um, so it's, it's, it, it varies by different farm. It's really yeah. hard to say what each one is going to be able to do. That makes sense, particularly with the impact of drought. What's that done for corn basis across the country? But Robin, I want to come back to a conversation that, uh, really was hot two or three years ago. And that was the state of dairy processing. We saw some big shakeups, saw some folks get in and get out of that industry from a processing perspective. Do you see any shakeups happening this year? I don't really see any shakeups happening at this point in time. What I do, what is is another issue that is impacting uh, the overall milk price uh, and products availability um, is the plants being able to handle the milk. Now we're seeing spring flush, we're seeing higher milk receipts. The, the plants are still having a labor issue and they're having a trucker and uh, hauling logistics issue. So we have plants that are running at capacity right now relative to workforce, not plant capacity. Gotcha. Workforce capacity and the trucking and hauling. Now, just this week, federal order number one in the Northeast. Robin, we are going to have to pick that up another time. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Robin Schmall of agmarket.net. Folks, stick around. We'll have weather when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. 
And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. On the first Wednesday of every month, our friends from the National Corn Growers Association join us here on AOA for a segment we call The Monthly Grind. This month, we spoke with Sarah McKay about Consider Corn Challenge 4. We've had three to date, and these are open innovation contests that really look to establish novel uses for corn. So you think bio-based materials, products, and technologies that can utilize corn that don't currently today. So we're really looking at placing uh, things like petrochemicals, products that can be more environmentally friendly, but also grind more corn. This year, the challenge is actually up to the prize pool to $250,000 for our Consider Corn Challenge for winners. Cool quarter of a million dollars, Sarah. That's impressive. Tell us, where can folks go to learn more about the Consider Corn Challenge? They can visit our website at ncga.com slash new uses. Feel free to, to reach out to me at mckay at ncga.com. And I'm always happy to have that conversation or come even speak to grower producer groups about the work that we're doing here at National Corn. Tune in on June 7th to the next Monthly Grind right here on AOA. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Matt Serdick. He's the Senior Environmental Health and Safety Manager with CHS about road safety tips for farmers, ranchers, and motorists. Matt, what safety precautions should farm equipment operators take while crossing or driving on roadways? There's things that we need to be doing and looking at when we look at our equipment. Things such as functioning lights, functioning turn signals, having those slow moving vehicle signs, even reflective tape, anything that we can do to make sure that our, our equipment, our implements stand out. It's clear when we're making you know, turns going into different roadways, we're crossing roadways, we're going into field approaches. One thing that we do stress with all of our drivers is the concept of anticipate, concentrate and take action, the ACT concept. And really what that's designed to is anticipating, it's really having us focus and look around you know, watching our mirrors, watching other motorists, you know, as we're about to turn, are we checking our mirrors and anticipating something that could happen? Taking the, you know, the concentrating is eliminating those distractions, getting those cell phones out of our hands, making sure that our attention is on that roadway. Attention is making those turns and the motorists around us. And obviously taking action is when you see something is driving defensively, taking those necessary movements and protecting yourself, protecting those around you. What can motorists do to stay safe as they encounter farm equipment on the roads? Patience. That's a big key term on that one. It's a busy time of the year. There's a lot of equipment on the roadway. It's a stressful time as far as equipment operators. I think that's where patience and giving those equipment operators plenty of room so we're not right up on the bumper. Give them plenty of space and also just keep in mind that they need plenty of space to be able to turn. That's Matt Serdick, Senior Environmental Health and Safety Manager with CHS. Matt, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Ha! 
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and now we're going to turn our focus to the sky. Meteorologist Greg Solier of This weekend Agribusiness joins us now. And Greg, weather headlines as we head into the weekend, certainly seems severe weather is on uh, a lot of folks. Yes, exactly. Boy, uh, I tell you what, right here in our own backyard as well from uh, some of those uh, softball-sized hail uh, storms that came out of parts of uh, Colorado and uh, eastern and southeastern uh, Wyoming, the Nebraska Panhandle from a couple of days ago, now has uh, kind of uh, crescendoed into an organized kind of multi-band and clustered uh, outbreak of a rainfall. And I was just kind of perusing some of the rain gauges from Bismarck, Mandan, to the Black Hills, straight south from there to the Nebraska Panhandle and uh, west of the Divide. Uh, with even some significant higher peak snows uh, noted outside of Colorado Springs, for example, about a wide corridor of a generally inch and a half to almost four inches uh, in that area, including, again, parts of uh, maybe far northwestern uh, Kansas. And this is just maybe the vanguard to another inch or two that will be coming down in some of those same areas and a spread north into the southern Canadian prairie into the mid and lower Red River Valley of the south. And then a separate area that will ultimately kind of rob some of the Corn Belt locales of uh, at least eastern and southern areas of significant rain. What will play out through uh, Texas, where, of course, they're in the midst of uh, extreme and historic and his exceptional drought areas in the Cotton Belt areas to about the Metroplex and south from there. And it will be that particular corridor. They come up with more than a half a foot of rain here over the next three to four days. So for a change and for the right reasons, maybe, although it's coming down all at once in some spots, um, the, the Plain States uh, makes the headlines here on the uh, weather maps and charts here for the day today and probably right on through the weekend. I mean, Greg, that is definitely good news for those folks out there in northwest Kansas, the folks in Dallas. But does this system have anything for those folks in between them across western Kansas, the Oklahoma and Texas panhandles? Are they going to see much over the next two or three days? Yeah, not a lot to speak of, uh, at least as it applies to Kansas. I tell you, those dry grounds, we get dry weather, just, they just those branches suck up the atmospheric moisture and you don't get a whole lot to uh, uh, get into the gauges there. There may be areas perhaps right along the Oklahoma Panhandle border and then south from there, uh, east to Oklahoma City and then kind of on line for a change from Oklahoma City to Dallas-Fort Worth and west for a change. It'll be that far southern and southwestern winter wheat belt, including parts of eastern New Mexico that will come up with significant rain. Maybe coming down all at once and that raises the specter even with the dryness and drought going on uh, some flash flood issues. So it looks like once again, you know, kind of that this northern and central area of Kansas is going to be snake bit. Nothing of significance. Eastern areas are in okay shape near the Missouri border. Then you move right back into drought in that kind of, you know, Jefferson City, Columbia line to St. Louis. Uh, extreme drought for that matter in a small corridor. And that's usually something we need to keep an eye on for come, you know, later spring and summertime in conjunction with a developing El Nino. We tend to go back into a drier mode over the plains and western Corn Belt areas. The eastern uh, sections, Mississippi Valley are kind of okay-ish. And then you get into a very wet scenario for the lower lakes region down to the Ohio Valley. And kind of that's the thinking here as we move forward in the next couple of months. You know, Greg, I'm really glad you brought that up because as we've been talking about the drought monitor over the past four months, we've seen it shrink precipitously outside, of course, that core, you know, southern uh, plains area that's still hammered by drought. But this expansion in recent weeks into western Iowa, back up into South Dakota, and then that extreme part you mentioned across central Missouri, it, do meteorologists believe this is El Nino at work already? Or is this just a springtime pattern that we hope is going to write itself? Well, from our kind of, you know, proprietary thinking and methods here, we think that we're already into an El Nino setup. I think some of the models and, and atmospheric observational data kind of run a little bit slower uh, at times of picking us up, especially the model data. Now, it's not like we're chasing ping pong balls around here in the atmosphere. Uh, there's usually a lag from one particular spectrum to another of about three or four months. So we think we're a little bit ahead of the curve here in already into an El Nino setup. And as we get into the summertime season here, it, it, it's a little more muted sometimes in some areas of the country on trying to determine temperatures and precip. But we think that we have a pretty good handle on that there may be some ongoing, if not re-emerging or increasing drought areas of the plains. 
And uh, we'll keep an eye on that Western Corn Belt. We've seen it expand again into parts of Western Minnesota, despite the runoff of the rains of the past few weeks. Uh, back into Western Iowa, Eastern areas as well. We talked about Missouri. And uh, except for last weekend's rains that were kind of all or nothing in the parts of central Illinois, there too was an area of abnormally dry weather. They've seen some modest improvement. So it will be a real Jekyll and Hyde set up west to east versus the haves versus have-nots where storms on the warm to hot ridge, if you will, make their way through the northern and eastern Corn Belt. And the atmosphere ultimately gets too warm, too dry to support anything as you get west of the Mississippi and especially west of the Missouri. So uh, we're maybe seeing the vanguard of this getting going here already in this uh, uh, early to mid-springtime season. All right, Greg, let's talk temperatures here over the next couple of weeks. We've been uh, below average for a lot of Corn Belt uh, locales here over the past two weeks, really. Does it move back towards a, a more normal seasonal uh, trend? Yeah, it will. A after kind of a, you know, the, the first part of the week in the eastern Corn Belt, back to seasonal temperatures, we do see kind of a downward push in from the Lakes region, Great Lakes region to the Mississippi Valley and east. So we may lose some sense of soil warmth a little bit. No frost or freeze expected, by the way in the Corn Belt areas. The western sections will generally hold sway close to or even a bit above average as we get into later next week and uh, through the remainder of the month. And we're going to keep an eye again in, in these drought areas and west, maybe the divide to the Cascades back into the Canadian Rockies where we've got another hot ridge materializing. So that could be the center and spectrum to start and heading through actually the mid to late portions of the month of May of some heat. And then we'll begin to see some of that heat muted somewhat make its way into the uh, rest of the Corn Belt locales, slight cooling uh, beginning part of June into the plains and uh, Pacific Northwest and Western states. That hopefully, and it may be the last of organized rains, uh, we may begin to finally see in a short-term sense of it sometime into the first week or two of the month of June to get some rains across some of the drier reaches of the Corn Belt. After that, I think all bets may be off here on the longer range maps and charts. Again, generally contributing to all that thinking would be El Nino. Lots to keep an eye on here. This next month could be crucial from a rainfall perspective. We've been speaking with Greg Solier, meteorologist on This Week in Agribusiness. Check him out this weekend. He's got a good outlook in the next several weeks. Greg, as always, thanks for joining us on AOA. Have a great weekend, my friend. Folks, we hope you have a great weekend as well. Tune in next time to AOL. We'll talk markets and we'll get in to this Proposition 12 decision from the Supreme Court. Thanks for listening today and stay safe out there, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. It's the most important race of the year. The one where winning is everything. Where the decisions you make now can and will define your entire season. The yields you're dreaming of are either won here or lost here. This is Corn Sprint 2023. You win it with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Specially formulated to make nutrients more available during the most critical uptake periods and strengthen root systems for better absorption. It's the kind of edge that gets your crops all the way to the finish line with greater yield potential, greater return on your fertilizer investment, and... Just plain old greatness. So win the corn sprint. Include Biopath in your early season fertilizer application. Contact your local retailer or visit cornsprint.com. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, Someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.